Well, good morning, Next Level Church. We are in part five of our series that we're calling Who I Am and Who I Want to Be. It is good to be back with you. And uh, today we're talking about our relationship with God and how we view God. And so that clip will make sense here in just a minute. But uh, as I mentioned, uh, it's good to be home. My wife and I spent the last eight days traveling. And uh, a week ago today, I spoke in a church in Irvine, California. It's a church plant that just celebrated a year old right on the campus of uh, UC Irvine. And uh, just a great pastor and his wife and an amazing leadership team. And uh, it was awesome. So it was great to be with them and just be able to, uh, to consult with them and, and be able to teach so much of what we've learned here at NLC to them. And then we flew home on Wednesday, uh, did a few loads of laundry. We're still on California time. And so about midnight, we're like, well, I'm hungry. Why don't you eat dinner? <laughs> So we uh, got a bite to eat, went to bed about midnight or so Wednesday night, woke up early Thursday morning, took off for Fort Lauderdale and spent all day Thursday and Friday in Fort Lauderdale at a pastor's roundtable event with about 15 uh, other pastors and their wives and were able to, to connect with some other church planners and other guys who are, are movers and shakers in the body of Christ or on the cutting edge of innovation. And so it was cool to be with those guys and hang out and just kind of let our hair down a little bit and relax. And then we came home yesterday, uh, went to a seven-year-old birthday party at Gator Lanes, which ruled, and I'm glad that I'm here this morning. So anyway, uh, all of that to say, we are in part five of this series that we began five weeks ago now called Who I Am, Who I Want to Be, and uh, in part one of the series, we talked about the fact that whether we realize it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, there's a gap that exists in all of our lives, and that gap is in between who we are, who I am. And who I want to be. And so for the last few weeks then, we've been zeroing in on specific areas of our life where this gap exists. So we talked about the stuff I have and the stuff I want and how we close that gap. We talked about the job that I have and the job that I want and how we close that gap. Last week we talked about the love that I have and the love that I want and how we close that gap. Well, this morning, this is our last uh, installment of who I am, who I want to be. And we're talking about the relationship with God that I have and the relationship with God that I want, because here's what I think. I think that if we were to take a poll today of those of us listening, we, what we discover is that the vast majority of us feel like there's this gap that exists in our life. When it comes to our relationship with God, we've got this gap thing going on, and, and we can't necessarily put our finger on it. We're not real sure what it's supposed to look like or how we, how we take care of it, because when we start talking about our relationship with God, it's such an intangible thing. And it's so um, just kind of somewhere out there kind of stuff. And, and what we begin to realize is uh, that, that this gap in our life can lead us to a, a few extremes. The first one is to, to kind of run to this hyper-spirituality extreme where we go, you know what, I, I know that there's this thing between me and God, but it's so intangible, it's so weird that I, I, I'm just, I'm just going to work really hard and do a bunch of really good stuff because then God's got to love me. So we're going to run to this hyper-spiritual thing. But then on the other side of that extreme is complacency, where we're like, yeah, you know, I, I know that the relationship with God I have and the relationship with God I want are miles apart, but it's so intangible, I, I can't see it, touch it, taste it, feel it. I, we just kind of resolve ourselves to go, well, you know, I'll just, I guess I'll just live with distance between me and God. Or for most of us, I would imagine, the, the third option is we kind of, we run to guilt. We go, well, God's loving and perfect, and I'm... Obviously not. So if there's any distance between me and God, it must be all my fault. So I stink. We just kind of resolve ourselves to live in this, this place of guilt 
in our relationship with God. And, and here's the thing. If we give ourselves to any one of these extremes for too long, it begins to taint or, or change or affect the way we view God. It begins to affect the impression that we have of God. See, we all have a view of people in our life, don't we? I mean, if you, we've all been there. We've been sitting in a conversation, and all of a sudden someone will, like a third party, will pop into the conversation, and the person we're talking to will go, we don't do this, but they do, they, they'll go, oh, I don't like that person. You're like, well, you've never even met them. I don't know. There's just something about them I don't like. Right? See, here's the thing. The way we view somebody determines how we relate to them. The simplest way to see this is, let's play a little game. I'll throw out a name, and then you think about that person in your mind, and, and then be aware of the facial expression that you're making. Okay, ready? Sorry about that. Okay, ready? Your spouse. No, 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 no. Okay, ready? Here we go. Brittany. Yeah, somebody grow. Oops, I did it again. It's like, come on, Brittany, seriously? Again? Michael Jackson. See, the way we view somebody determines how we feel, how we relate to that person. Oprah Winfrey, Barbara Walters, Julia Roberts. Easy, fellas. <laughs> Eli Manning. Yeah, yeah, what up, Giants? Way to go. I love the fact that the Giants were the winners. I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's just, there's something ironic there. God. See, how we view somebody affects how we relate to them. And I believe that what's true about Britney Spears or Michael Jackson or your boss or your boss's spouse is also true about our relationship with God. Well, this morning, if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 is where we're going to go this morning because I want to introduce us to a guy who is not too unlike all of us. This guy had a certain view of God, and consequently, it affected everything about his life. 1 Kings chapter 18, if you have your Bible, turn there. If not, the verses will be on the screens around me. You'll be able to follow along. And while you're turning there, let me kind of do a little bit of character introduction for us because there are four characters in the story that you need to know about. The first is a king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And Jezebel was evil with a capital E. She was bad news blues, bad stuff. So you got King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, and then... Ahab's personal assistant, his name was Obadiah. And Obadiah was a, a God follower. He was a believer in God. But he worked for this crazy king and his evil, bad Jezebel wife. So you got Ahab and Jezebel, and then you got the personal assistant of Ahab, which is Obadiah. And then enter our boy that we're talking about, Elijah. And Elijah was a, a prophet. He was an Old Testament kind of preacher, kind of a go-between between between man and God and God and man. Elijah kind of played that role. So in 1 Kings chapter 18, when we pick up the story, here's what's going on. There was a famine in the land, and it was a bad famine. It had been going on for a long, long time, and food was scarce, if non-existent. Water was non-existent. 
And it, so there's this famine in the land. And so, so King Ahab says to Obadiah, we've got to find Elijah, the, the go-between between us and God, because I, I think he's got something to do with this. And we've got to figure out what's going on. So Ahab and Obadiah decide we're going to go separate directions and see who can hunt down Elijah. So where we pick up the story, that's what's going on, is they're trying to find Elijah to get to the bottom of this famine thing that's going on in their land. So Ahab, the king, goes one way. Obadiah, the personal assistant, goes the other way. And Obadiah comes across Elijah. And when he finds him in the early part of chapter 18, he's like, Elijah, it's you. And Elijah says, hey, I want to talk to King Ahab. Go tell him that I want to see him. And Obadiah's like, okay, listen, though, man, you've been known like... Elijah had this reputation for just kind of like disappearing and stuff. And it, so he's like, listen, promise me that if I go get the king, you're not going to just go, you know, disappear on me again. And Elijah's like, don't trust me. Everything will be fine. I'll stay here. I promise. Go get him. So verse 16 is where we pick up the story. Look at this. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and he told him, he said, listen, I found Elijah. Check it out. And Ahab, the king, went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you? You troubler of Israel. So King Ahab is blaming the, blaming the prophet Elijah. He's like, listen, I think this whole famine thing in our land, I think it's all your fault. Look at what Elijah says back to him. I love this, verse 18. I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, Baals were like false gods. So Elijah gets up in the king's business right here, and he's like, no, 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 don't be all punking on me, bro. This is your fault. You and your bad father and your family, you guys have messed the whole deal up. Look at this, verse, verse 19. So Elijah's like, so here's what we're going to do about it. We're going to find out which one's the problem here. Is it my God, or is it all these false gods that you've been serving? We're going to find out. So look at what Elijah says. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Azurah, which was another false god, who eat at your wife's table. Okay, so here's what he says. He's like, listen, we're going to settle this deal once and for all. So you go round up these 450 false prophets. That your wife, when we're all starving to death, your wife is slipping them food on the side. You go get them. I love this. This is awesome. If you don't read the Bible, you've got to read the Bible. Look at this. Verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. I love this. But the people said nothing. <laughs> Elijah gathers all of these guys there, and he's got these 450 false prophets and the whole deal, and he's like, Listen, how long are you guys going to keep being double-minded? And one minute you want to serve God, and the next minute you want to serve these Baal, these false gods, and the God and Baal, and God and Baal. He's like, just make up your mind for crying out loud. And the people are like, huh? <laughs> you got to love that. Look, 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. And then I love this. This is like a duel right here. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to settle this issue once and for all. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. He's like, you guys can go first. And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull myself and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. In other words, it's a duel. He's like, my God versus your God. Mount Carmel, 12 o'clock, bring it. It's like the Old West meets the Old Testament right here. 
These guys are back to back to like 10 paces. Draw! Boom! You know, that's what's going on. This is crazy stuff. This is in the Bible. Look at this. I love this. Verse 24. Then, once we get the bulls prepared, and you got yours, and you're going to offer yours to your God, and I'm going to offer mine to my God, then here's what we're going to do. You call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And then all the people said, I love this, what you say is good. They're like, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. <laughs> Don't you love that? Oh, yeah, wow, good job. Wow, you're, you're a thinker. So here's what they do. They get these bulls, and they get all ready. And they got the altar on the one side to Baal, the false god. And they got the altar on the other side to, to God. And so the prophets of Baal, the 450, they start calling out. You can read this. It's in the Bible. It's in there. And they start in the early morning, and they go all the way through lunch hour. And they are singing and dancing and yelling and screaming and calling on Baal to come light the fire, light the fire, light the fire. And, and Elijah, you got, you got to love this. Elijah's just sitting back going, keep trying. He, I mean, he is, you talk about a guy who was confident right here. Elijah's got, he's going, shout louder. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation or out to lunch. It's in there, really. And he's, he's, he mocks him all day long. Then he gets to the end of the day. And I love this, verse 37, check this out. He has them bring in like three truckloads of water. And so not only does he have his bull all chopped up and stuff on the altar, but then he douses the thing three times with water. And the Bible says that there was so much water that it was like laying in a trough around the altar. I mean, they, he just, it is soaked. It is drenched. Verse 37, look at this. And Elijah's just like, answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And that you're turning hearts back again. And then look what it says. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. He won. It worked. And then it goes on to there all the way to the end of the chapter. And it basically says that Elijah goes on a rampage. And he's like, I told you my God was real. <laughs> he whips out his sword and he's just like going crazy on these guys. Just nutty. God comes through. Fire God. Fire breathing God. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. <laughs> Fire God comes through for Elijah. But see, here's the thing. We're talking about the gap between the relationship with God that we have and the relationship with God that we want. Well, the problem was Elijah, the relationship that he had with God was very one-sided. He only had one view, one perspective of God. And his one perspective of God was fire God. That's, that's all Elijah knew. He just basically knew, listen, there's this side of God and he's the fire God. But see, here's the thing Elijah knew. That if he was ever going to have the relationship with God that he wanted so desperately to have, he was going to have to do a few things. If you have your bulletin, you want to follow along. Here's the first thing that I want you to notice. Elijah, in order for him to close the gap, he had to start looking at God differently. Because, see, Elijah had a one-sided view of God. He knew God only as fire God, the fire-breathing God, fire, call down fire. He only knew God as fire. And so he pretty much approached God as this huge, mighty, terrible, horrible, fire-breathing God. And the problem was his view of God affected the way he related to God. And see, here's what I think. I think that each one of us have a view of God that affects us in our lives as well. 
I think some of us probably have a view of God that is God is judge. He's kind of like the giant fly swatter God. And he's up in heaven with this gigantic fly swatter and just waiting for us to step out of line. He's like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. What? We kind of view God as like this big fat judge that's just waiting to just fly swatter God. Some of us have like a, a big guy in the sky view of God. We're like, well, you know, let me talk to the big guy. See what the big guy upstairs says. We've got like this casual, flippant thing going on with God. We're like, well, you know, depending on what the big guy wants. And it's kind of, that's that's our view of God. Some of us have this view of God as like the almighty slot machine. As long as we approach him right and stick the quarter in just right and pull the handle, jackpot, may all your wildest dreams come true. Some of us have a view of God like that. Some of us have a view of God as manipulator or abuser. We think of God as, as this, this God who holds blessing over our head, and he's like, come on, follow me, follow me. Uh-huh. We kind of have this abusive, manipulative thing going on. And see, here's what I think. I think that the way we view God, the way we look at God, will determine how we relate to him. And so if there's this gap in our life, the the first thing that Elijah understood and and came to realize, and I believe is so true for every one of us, is that we've got to start looking at God differently than that. Some of us have completely unscriptural images of God. And some of us were given those images from childhood. Maybe a teacher or a coach, maybe a parent or a bad church experience has tainted our view. And so instead we've got this locked in view of one, one perspective, narrow view of who God is. He's fire God. But see, not only did Elijah have to, to start looking at God differently, secondly, Elijah had to start looking for God differently. If we continue our story into chapter 19, this is, this is so amazing. Uh, it says this, because the story doesn't just end with Elijah winning and the fire god showing up, and it's like, and Elijah breaking out the whooping stick. He goes on from there. Look at this, verse 1. Look what it says. Now Ahab told Jezebel, uh-oh, the evil queen Jezebel, everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. Can't you hear May the gods deal with me ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, it's like Queen Latifah, right? That's, that's, that's the voice I hear in my head right here. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of, the, one of them. What is it that has no fury like a woman scorned? Oh, buddy, Elijah's in trouble because evil Queen Jezebel is ticked. And she's coming to get him. She's like, you got 24 hours, punk. I'm bringing you down. Verse 3, look at this. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. What? (laughs) Serious? 24 hours ago, Our boy Elijah is whipping up on 450 prophets, false prophets. 24 hours ago, our boy Elijah's being all confident, mocking them, going, you want to yell louder, your guy's on vacation. 24 hours ago, our boy Elijah's like, fire God, 
what? And now all of a sudden the duffer's curled up in the fetal position, sucking his thumb, wanting to die? What's going on? What happened to Elijah? One woman's like, well, I'm going to get you. And he's like, oh, God, kill me now. We're not going to have an altar call for husbands. We're not going to do that kind of thing. Just kidding. See, here's what I think. I think that Elijah had reached a, reached a place in his life where the only view, the only perspective of God that he had, that he knew, was a narrow one. It was God the fire-breathing God. And I think Elijah reaches this place in his life where he goes, you know what? If that's all there is to God, if that's, if that's all there is is that God, you know, kind of comes in and just boom, brings fire and wrath, if, if that's all there is to God, then you know what? I don't know that I'm interested in that anymore. Elijah reaches his place in his life where he goes, you know what? From my narrow, one-sided view, perspective of God, I don't think I'm interested. But see, God brought him to a place where, where he was forced to look for God differently. And see, I think some of us can relate to that as well. That we have been putting God in our box, in our narrow view and perspective of him. And then when God doesn't show up like we think he should in our time, according to our plan, in our way, in our box, then we go, fine, forget it all. But watch this. God was not content to let Elijah just live with a one narrow view of him. Look what happens in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, Then he went into a cave and he spent the night. Elijah's so depressed, he's so discouraged, he, he goes into a cave, he's just like, forget it, I'm just going to spend the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? God wakes him up and he's like, Anybody home? Hey, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? And look at what Elijah replies back, verse 10. God, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty the Israelites, where the people of God, have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've, put, they've even put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. What's he saying? He's like, God, listen. I've been trying to do this thing your way. I've been trying to live like you want me to live. Big fire-breathing God. I've been trying to serve you, oh great fire-breathing God. And I don't think it's working. If that's all you are is a big fire-breathing God, then I want none of that. Verse 11. And the Lord said, I love this. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Look. For the Lord is about to pass by. God's like, listen, Elijah, you got, a, you got an image problem. And the problem is not the image of yourself. The problem is your image of me. And so I want you to go stand outside the cave because I'm about to show you a new side of me that you've never seen before. So he goes and he stands outside. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord, look at this, was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. Verse 12, after the earthquake... 
came a fire. That's pretty familiar to Elijah. But look at this. The Lord wasn't in the fire either. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak or his coat over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. In other words, he responded to the presence of the Lord. See, two minutes ago, the only view of God that Elijah had ever had was fire God. And all of a sudden, God says, listen, there's so much more to me. There's so many other facets to my presence in your life than just fire God. And you got to learn to look for me different in your life. And so God brings this wind, and he's like, but I'm not in the wind. And God brings this earthquake, and he's like, I'm not there. God brings this fire, and he says, I'm not even in the fire. I'm in the still, small voice, the gentle whisper. says, Elijah, I want you to start looking for me different than you ever have before. And see, I think that some of us who are listening to this message today are so aware of the fact that we have been looking for God in our way, on our terms, according to our conditions. We've put God in our box. And when God doesn't appear to us in our way, in our time, and fit our conditions in our box, we go, well, fine, forget it. Just like Elijah did. But is it possible that God is bigger than our one-sided, narrow view of him? Is it possible that God may be trying to touch our life and intersect with our life in a way that doesn't fit in our box? Some of us have only ever seen God as fire God or judge God or big man upstairs God. And God is going, I want to be gentle whisper God. Here's the third thing. Elijah had to start looking to God differently. See, up to this point, God had always been Elijah's escape clause that Elijah would get himself backed into these corners, backed into these situations, and then he'd go, fire! <laughs> you know, and he just, and God, God was kind of like, God, it's 450 to 1, little help here, whoop And God would come in and just bail him out. He was like the escape clause. But God shows up to Elijah on the mountainside this day, and he says, listen, I don't want to just be your escape clause anymore. You've got to start looking to me differently than you ever have before. If you want to close the gap between the relationship with God that you have and the relationship with God that you want, then you've got to start looking to God for more than just an escape clause. And some of us can relate to that, can't we? We know what it is in our life to look to God as our escape clause, to go, well, you know, I've tried everything else. Maybe I should pray. And we go, God, you're just, you're just, I'm just, just stay right back there. And if I need you, I'll let you know. And God goes, oh, you're going to need me. Some of us have made God into an escape clause, and we've got to start looking to God differently than we ever have before. Because, see, God doesn't just want to be fire God in our life. God doesn't just want to be put in the box, the one view, the narrow view that we put him in for our entire lives. He wants to be the gentle whisper God who stands alongside of us and says, I love you. 
I'm your strength. I'm your source. I'm your provider. I'm your peace. I'm your friend. That's the God we serve. I know the guys mentioned it earlier. Next week, we're launching this series called Peace Blog. And I've got to be honest with you. I am so excited about this series. Because we're going to spend the four weeks leading up to Easter, looking through the lens of the Apostle Peter, at the issue of trust. Because Peter is just an absolute textbook of God putting him in one situation after another after another where he had to trust God. And the reason why we're doing this series, the reason why I'm so passionate about the next four weeks is because it's a pretty rough time to be a Southwest Floridian. Some of us are looking at our economic position and we're wondering where it all went. Some of us are feeling the pressure on a job front. Some of us are feeling the pressure on a lack of jobs. Some of us are feeling the pressure economically, relationally. I mean, you name it. We are dealing with some, some serious pressures right now. And that's why we're doing this series. So I hope you will visit the blog. Uh, I hope you'll track your comments, post your stories. Because the series actually begins today on the blog to set up next Sunday's message that we're going to talk about. So the goal is that you'll track a week ahead. Because, see, this trust issue is so huge because God doesn't just want to fit in our little box. God, God is so much bigger than our one view, our one perspective of him. God wants to blow our view to smithereens and say, listen, I am not just the fire God or the judge God or the big guy upstairs, upstairs in the sky God. I'm going to be the gentle whisper God, the relational God with you. That's what our God desires. Finally, number four, that means that we must start walking with God differently. From this moment on, Elijah knew a perspective of God that he had never seen before. And that was not only the God of the fire or the wind or the earthquake or the big moments. He was the God of the gentle whisper. He was the still, small voice God. The, the God who desired relationship, that so desired relationship with us that he could be so close to us that he could whisper in our ear and we could hear him. That's the God we serve. And Elijah had to get himself there. And that's how he closed the gap. Was he realized that, that our relationship with God isn't about the extremes. It isn't about the, the humongous moments, although those are fun and good and exciting and sweaty. It's about the still small voice. It's about the daily walking it out. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He looked at his disciples and he said, you know what, guys? I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. What was Jesus doing? He was trying to get us to, to change our view of God. Listen, I don't want you to just serve me. I want you, I want you to be in relationship with you. I want to be your friend. That's the kind of God that we serve. A God who says, listen, whatever you've thought about me in the past, I'm way bigger than that. And I believe that God is here this morning, and he is asking every single one of us, to lay down whatever preconceived view of him we've had and set that aside and begin to interact with him in a whole new way in a gentle whisper, relationship, friend, God capacity. Let's stand together this morning.
The worship team is going to come back, and as they do, I want to ask us a question this morning because I believe that there are so many of us, and this message is hitting us right between the eyes, that we've had this narrow, single-minded point of view about who God is, and, and we've not been open to any other perspective of God, and consequently, we've found ourselves chained up by this. We, we feel like it's just like this. We just feel like we can't even break out of this. We feel so bound up by our view of God. Well, this morning, I want to tell you that we have an opportunity to break through those chains today and let God blow up those chains that have kept us down because of a narrow view of God. And so this morning, if you're here, I want to just encourage you. This is a, this is a time, as we take the next two or three minutes and we reflect and we sing this song that the worship team is going to lead us in, can I just encourage you to allow God to break those chains? I, I love the fact that at Next Level, we've got a very expressive worship and you know we clap and we sing we shout we lift our hands you know we jump up and down whatever it's i mean we're just we're, okay we're, we're cool with all that just don't don't run around i mean just stay seated but we're staying in your place but anyway and, and see here's what i think i think that some of us that's the external reflects the internal and i think that some of us have been so bound up by our view of god that we're just like it's like you know, I mean, we just, we're just bound up, and it's like God wants to go, no, I'm so big, I'm so awesome, I'm such a friend, I'm so, I'm so in your corner, I want you to be free, but we've been chained up, and so we got this whole like bound up thing, and that's the way we feel on the inside. Well, can I just encourage you today? In the next few minutes, God wants to set you free from your small, one-sided view of God. And expand it and close this gap and take us to a new place in Him. Let's pray together. Father, right now, I recognize that there are so many across this room who are, who are dealing with a, a narrow view of you, God. Maybe from childhood, maybe from our past, maybe from a uh, past um, church experience, maybe, I don't know, whatever. But God, something has caused us to have this narrow uh, um, view and perspective of you. And so God, right now, we just come and, and we just confess that. And we say, God, forgive us for, for judging you by that narrow view. But God, right now, I pray that you would come near and that, God, you would break the chains off of us. And you would allow us, God, that freedom, that wide open expression, not just externally, but, God, on the inside, God, being set free that the chains of a narrow view of you would be broken off of our life and that we would just begin to embrace a bigger view of God than we've ever even thought was possible. Lord, we know that the end result is that we'd be able to lift you up we'd be able to proclaim your greatness and your goodness to the ends of the earth. That our lives would become a living lighthouse to shine into a dark place.